I know you had been looking forward to me getting up here because you then knew you'd be able to sit down. <laughs> I saw a look of anticipation in your eyes. and It wasn't just about me preaching, but I appreciate Brent's energy and enthusiasm that he brings to leading us in worship, and that's always appreciated. As we are on Sunday nights, uh, what we're doing on Sunday night, uh, at the request of a few people, is that I do a textual study. And so, as I explained last week, I really want to take advantage of the time and pour over the words and pour over the praises and go a little slower than we might might normally. Uh, So, I introduced last week by saying we would call this slow club, where the rule was you can, can do anything, but you just can't go fast. And, uh, and I was corrected on that. Maybe slow club would be not the right way to phrase it. So we, we ought to come up with better marketing for it. So we're going to be thorough in this study. Uh, maybe we'll call it the thoroughbreds or something. But uh, if you are in your Bible, open it to John. That's where we'll be. And uh, last week, and we're continuing this week, we're looking at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And uh, it's going to take two sermons to get through this. So by, by this pace, roughly, it'll take just under six years to get through the book of John. Uh, as I said, the thorough club. We'll try to go a little faster on some of those things, but this is um, a time and an audience where I don't mind uh, slowing down. I assume you've heard lots of sermons and messages over the course of your life, and um, we'll do our best to really meditate and think about and let Scripture reflect upon the meaning of the words. Uh, Just briefly to read John chapter 1, John there, the apostle whom Jesus loves, writes this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not made anything made that was made. And we said, we only talked about one point last time, and that was simply that the word was central to life. The Jewish children, uh, from the age, as young as two or three years of age, they were introduced to the word often, repeatedly, daily. And as they grew, they were expected to learn it and to know it, and that the best of the best of the best became the rabbis and the teachers who would then impart that knowledge to others. So it wasn't that they didn't know the word, as in the text and the the scrolls that, that they would have been written on, but they, what Jesus and what John's here doing in his gospel is pointing to Jesus as the living word. That is, it's more than just the writings on the page, but it was the living word, the incarnate Jesus Christ, who not only knew the word, he taught it, he lived it, he preached it, he made disciples of it, and he eventually died for it as well. As we think about, continuing to think about the word, um, we go to 1 John chapter 5, verse 12. And this is where we ended last time, and I wanted to begin here <clears throat> this time. And the apostle writes there, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And so what we were 
the point that John was trying to make, that, that the word was so central to their lives and that now the word in flesh, which is this phrase that John uses several times in John 1, 1 through 3, is, is becoming real. It's not just putting on the, the flesh of it literally, but it's, it's calling men and women, his disciples, to seek him as life, the source of life from which all blessings flow. This leads us to the second understanding about uh, the, the word, is that it was full of blessings. Uh, the word was given either by prophet or by teacher. It was written down for their understanding and ours, but it did a, a multitude of things when the word was written down. If you think about why it's important to read the word, some of the things that we get for, from it, first of all, courage, the blessing of courage. Uh, <clears throat> Joshua chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, the verse that we stayed on last year in its entirety was verse 9. Verse 8, Moses said, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will, have, then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The things which were written in the past, the book of Romans tells us, were written to teach us that through the encouragement and the endurance of the scriptures, we might have hope. That as we think of Moses approaching Pharaoh and telling him to let the people of God go, uh, we are given courage. When we think about the young shepherd boy David, and the courage that he faced against the giant that trained soldiers would not have were given courage. The word encourage means literally to give courage. And so that's one of the many blessings of God's word. The word of God gives us spiritual strength. Psalm chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 3, compares the righteous to a tree. And the wicked like chaff. When we were talking about this in our men's class uh, this past week. And we were noting that the reason that the tree has its strength, the picture here, is because it's well rooted. Well, why is it well rooted? Because the roots seek out the source of life, the water. Uh, Psalm 1, you probably know it, but I'll read it. Blessed is the man... Who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the way of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The word gives the blessing of courage, but the word also gives the blessing of nourishment, the spiritual sustenance that would not just provide for a day, but would provide for a lifetime. As you consider the word of God in your life, 
and you think about your relationship with Christ, he becomes the living word, the bread of life that feeds you and sustains you. And just as you are not satisfied with one meal, uh, you need sustenance every single day and, and multiple times a day. It pulls us back to that understanding that our relationship with the Word, again, not the book, but the living Word, is so important for the blessing of spiritual nourishment. We then become planted. Think of, think of who it is that you would consider a model Christian. Someone who's walked ahead of you. Maybe they are advanced 10, 20, 30 years. Maybe they've gone on to their reward. What made them a model to you, in my opinion, was directly proportional to their relationship with the Word. Now, I've told you many times about the influence and the impact that my grandmother and my great aunt had. It is no surprise that Psalm chapter 1 was one that my Aunt Donna loved. She memorized it. She internalized it. But what was she doing there? She was being fed on His words. She, she, her relationship with the Messiah allowed her roots to grow deeper and stronger because the water, the living water, was being fed to her soul. So it gives us the blessing of courage. It gives us the blessing of strength. I'm uh, sorry, of nourishment. And it gives us the blessing of strength. Uh, Jesus would go on to say, in John chapter 7, which we'll get to uh, in about 2021. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. The longer I've been a Christian, the more Christians that I look to for a model of exemplary behavior... And I look to their lives as husbands and fathers, as leaders in the church, as teachers. I look to their example in their business workings, in their relationship with other people. And the closer I get to them, the more I see the living water flowing from within them. I can still remember, though now it's been many years ago, it was on a Wednesday night, and I couldn't tell you which one because there were a lot of them like this moment where I was walking through the foyer and heading toward my office to get something. And sitting at the table was Lewis Tandy. Now, Lewis Tandy uh, knew a great deal about the Word, uh, had much of it memorized, and had spent much time meditating on it. And yet there were many times on a Wednesday night when I would go back through and see him at the table. If he wasn't involved in a discussion or, or doing some sort of church activity, he would be sitting silently, gently moving his hands over the pages of Scripture. Why? Why? He knew the Word. Because that's one of the beautiful things that happens. The closer you get to the Word, the more you want of Him. The more you desire Him. His life, and as we talked about this morning, his legacy was a fruitful tree. Roots weighed down. Nearly whatever he did prospered. And his life bared much fruit. Was that because of who Lewis Tandy was? Lewis Tandy was a gentleman, prince of a fellow, an esteemed Christian man.
But I say to you that the result of Lewis Tandy's life or of anyone's life in Christ, the fruit comes not from the tree but from the root, from the water that draws up into it and it produces. What made his pouring over the words of Scripture efficacious was not so much the memorizing. That's, that's great. He had a wonderful mind and kept it sharp late into his life. But it was the internalizing of the Word. You can, you can know the Word, and as we talked about last week, many teachers of the law did, but yet, when they read the very words that pointed them to Jesus, and yet Jesus was right in front of them, And they couldn't see him. We can memorize and read the word and go through Bible reading plans. And those things are good and necessary. But to make sure that we're internalizing, the word is capturing the heart. Another uh, good example is Clayton McCullough and all of our shepherds. But this is an example that was recent several uh, years ago. Lindsay Kingsley, who was Lindsay McCullough then, told me the story of her dad um, and her having an argument. And there was a point in which Clayton, who had been a part of a men's study group, uh, said, you know, let's stop for a second. Tell you what, let's just go over here and uh, let's just you and I go to the table here. And it shouldn't just open up to the word of God. And I'm not going to talk. I just want you to read. I don't remember what the verse was, but uh, children obey your parents or something like that, probably. But just read that, Lindsay. And so she read it. And she said, you know, this is, this, is, this is God. And when it comes to his word, his word is what has authority. Well, why did that moment happen with Clayton and Lindsay? Because, because Clayton had been nourishing his roots uh, with the with the water of life, this is what John is pointing to, that the Word is with God and the Word was God. And the closer we get to the Word, the book, or the man, and the more we internalize him into our own lives, the deeper the impact is felt. Now, uh, there are countless examples I could use, uh, but but those are just two that remind us of the blessings that come. From the Word. Third, the Word is eternal and secure. The Word is eternal and secure. Turn to Psalm chapter 18, verse 30. John's, when he starts by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, we were reminded last week that he, he, went, he hearkened all the way back to Genesis with the, the phrase, in the beginning. And what he's saying there is, when you put your trust in the Word, you're putting your trust in something eternal in nature. Steadfast. Secure. The world has changed a great deal since it was created, I'm sure. But he has not. 
And there was nothing that was made without him. And so when you're trusting in him, you're trusting in something that's absolutely secure. Psalm chapter 18, verse 30. My translation says, as for God, his way is perfect. He shields all who take refuge in him. As you think about how the word formed and created and filled the story of Genesis, he's hearkening back to Jesus Christ who formed you, who was there when you were made. And if you'll let him, he'll fill you. Not just with his blessings, but with a security that cannot be taken from you. Oh yes, you can give it up. But he, if you'll let his perfect, flawless word indwell within your heart, you are taking something, taking refuge in one in who, uh, who does not change. In whom is eternal security. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 8. The prophet there says that the grass withers, that the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. It's a scary thing that we record most every sermon ever given. As you can go back and listen to, and if you're the preacher at that church, you can go back a ways back, and listen to things you've said that were just wrong, foolish, simplistic. But what, what occurs to me as I listen to some of those old lessons is how maturity comes with time. That understanding of the word and how to apply it comes the more you do it. With God... With Jesus, you have a word that is unending in nature, that is just as true today as it was thousands of years ago. It's just as true thousands of years ago as it will be thousands of years from now, if the Lord tarries. Its trueness does not end because it is ancient. I love the song that we sing. Ancient words ever true. Changing me and changing you. It's the power of the word. I love the word. I remember preachers have these experiences where you're preaching a sermon. And it's not anything flashy. It's not anything exciting. But you're just preaching the word. And and. This one particular occasion, I was preaching a word about marriage. It wasn't flashy or exciting. It was just the simple message of God's plan for marriage. One man and one woman for a lifetime. And all I was doing in my mind was was so simple. I was just reading... From Genesis. I was just reading from Matthew 19. And afterward, a day or two later, I was away at a, a conference and I got a text message from a young couple who had been living together. 
And they said, after hearing the word, we are convicted that we should not be living that way. I know you blame the preacher. I know you think the preacher sits down and he says, well, <laughs> Gene Swan, I'm going to say something about him. And Kathy Middleton, I'm going to say something about her. Sonny Banning, oh, I could write pages on Sonny. I know you think that. It's one of the dangers of the job of being the messenger. You know how people generally treat the messenger, right? And my job is simply to relay the word to you in its simplicity and its power. And it is the word which has so much effectiveness, which can pierce the heart and the soul, pierces all the way down to the soul. No human word can do that. We can hardly keep sermons straight. We can hardly keep our theology straight. But it's God's word which has the security of truthfulness. Psalm 119, starting in verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. That's interesting. This is reminding us, calling us to the foundations of creation. By your appointment they stand this day. For all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts. For by them you have given me life. Psalm 19, verses 7 and 8. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Enlightening the eyes. Now we move beyond thinking as, as they would have in Psalms and Isaiah, of course, about the words and the prophecies of the book and moving toward the man. If the word is eternal and secure, if the word is unending, if the word gives us these blessings of strength and courage and wisdom, if the word is always true, if the word has the power to change lives... Then, first of all, listen to the word. He has told you, O man, Micah 6 8 says, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Now, that verse you may have heard before. I just want to focus there in the first six words. He has told you, O man. How did he tell us? He told us starting... With the prophets, he told us starting with the law, and then he told us through his son. And just as he was, as he told his disciples, and I believe was also intended for us, listen to him at the Mount of Transfiguration. Yeah. There is Jesus glowing nuclear, and they are scared out of their wits, and God says, this is my son. Listen to him.
Psalm, uh, so listen to him. Secondly, utilize him. Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. And you have to make that choice to, to, to light the lamp, to shine it out, to let it reflect on your path. The, the New Testament, Paul wrote to Timothy, the young preacher, he said, All scripture is breathed out by God, pneumas, and is profitable for teaching, for correcting, for reproof, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. We are only as competent as our relationship to the Word. That eternal, secure man, Jesus Christ. So listen to him. Utilize his instructions. And meditate and dwell with him. Colossians chapter 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. It's, it's a course about worship, but I think it's not just collective worship, but it's that personal worship. Do His words, do the words of Christ dwell in you? Well, the word is eternal and secure, so then if it is... Then listen to the, to the man Jesus. Utilize his instructions and meditate on his ways and imitate them. Which brings us to our fourth point. The word draws us closer to God. Psalm 119, which is written a great deal about the word of God. If you want to follow along... In verse 9, I'm going to read verses 9 through 16 of that chapter. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. How does a young man keep his way pure in thought, in deed, in actions with the people in his life? The word says, by guarding it according to the word. With your whole heart I seek you. You see, it wasn't just about memorizing the, the verse. That's great, but it, it's really about drawing closer to the author. Let me not wander from your commands. The reason why the commands are important is because they're his. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The purpose of the word is to bring us to the author, you see. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight in as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Now see, Jesus said at the end of time there will be people who do wonderful things in his name. But he will say, away from me, because I never knew you. If we're very honest, if we struggle with Bible reading, it has to do with a heart condition 
that is not concerned about the heart of the one who wrote it. But when we love him and when we adore him, then we want to know so much more about who he is and what he's done and what's important to him. That's, to me, that's pivotal in the whole discussion. You can read lots of books, but the question is, do you desire to know the author, the, the inspired author of these words? The purpose of reading the word and memorizing the word and delighting in the word and living by the word only works if you want a deeper connection to Jesus. From the first word to the last, the entire book, the Old Testament and the New, the, the history, the genre, the, the Psalms, all of it is pointing to him. And if you know the word, but you don't know him, then you miss the point of the scriptures entirely. You see, Jesus isn't just a part of the Bible. He's the point of the word. And this is what John says. John chapter 5. Jesus will say to those who accuse him, you search the scriptures. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me, that you may have life. Graham Goldsworthy said, well, the Old Testament does not stand on its own because it is incomplete without its conclusion and fulfillment in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. No part can be rightly understood without him. In this sense, it is all about Christ. God's revelation is progressive, moving in stages from the original promises given to Israel until the fullest meaning of the promises revealed in Christ. Thus, Christ interprets the New and the Old Testament. Sixty-six books, dozens of authors, a holy canon that is thousands of years in the making, and yet every story casts his shadow. Every chapter points back to him. Every word, every verse... Every jot, every tittle bears his testimony. The Messiah, Jesus Christ, eternal King, the living Word. Now, as you consider that, think about what the writer of Hebrews said. For the Word of God is alive and active. He is sharper than any double-edged sword. He penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. He judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart abundant. He is life. He is blessing. He is eternal in nature. And He, and He alone, will draw us back to the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He wasn't talking about a book there. He was talking about Himself. And his brother would go on to say, do not merely listen to the word. And so deceive yourselves. Do what he says. So listen to the living word. Utilize his teaching and align your life to him. For this is the purpose of the word of God about which John speaks. And, and it's so important that he begins in this way. Because when we start to journey with John. Until you value drawing closer to the Word, the living Word, you will not have any joy on the journey. 
Well, I think we'll stop there tonight. We have plenty of other things that need to be done this evening. And so I want to leave the lesson in your hearts, uh, leaving to you what you will do with it. Of course, the living word is Jesus the Christ. And if you don't know him, if you haven't yet begun your journey with him, then I want to call you to do that tonight. Or perhaps you have journeyed with him, but you have uh, heard the siren song of other things, the temptations of the world or distractions of our culture, and you have lost your focus on the living word. Oh, I want you to come back. I want you to, to find joy in the eternal blessed word of God. Oh, not just the book, not just the plan, but the man. If you're ready to refocus on Christ or you need our prayers or encouragement, we'd like to help you. Please come. I'll meet you down front as we stand and sing.